As we continue to talk about wisdom and foolishness, I want to share a story with you about something I did recently, and it's not to illustrate wisdom, it's, it's the other, but uh, I, I had an appointment, you know, when, when your sticker on your car gets uh, close to, you know, and I had waited a, longer than I probably should have to get Holly's inspection done on her car so that we could replace the little sticker every year. And so there was a couple weeks, and I knew I've got, I've got to get the oil changed, and I've got to get it inspected. And so I made an appointment, but I was really afraid I was going to forget it because it was a Monday morning, and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to leave the house a little bit early and go do that on my, my, my way to the office. And so I put it on my calendar, but I was really afraid I was going to forget to do it. And then Monday morning came around and I didn't, I didn't forget. I remembered it. I, I saw it on my calendar. I knew that's what I needed to do. I got ready early, plenty of time. And I even told Holly on my way out the door, I said, honey, don't forget. I've got your car today. You won't have it because I got to take it to get, get the inspection done. Gave her a kiss, headed out the door, got in the car, drove now, if you've ever driven down Independence in Frisco in school day mornings, you know, I mean, there's just, there's like a million school zones and you can make it about a hundred yards in about an hour, you know, at the 20 miles an hour and all the people. And so, you know, I'm making my way through all of the traffic and through that school zones and finally got past all the school zones, turned on Main Street, straight shot to the service station. I thought, it, it's going great. I mean, I'm ahead of schedule. I got, I got time to stop for coffee if I wanted to. I mean, things are going well. And that's when it hit me. Not before, but, but right then, after all of that, I looked around at my surroundings and realized I'm in my car and not Holly's car. <laughs> How is that even possible? I knew what I was doing, I thought. Right? I mean, but, but I say, I tell you that embarrassing story to, to illustrate the fact that that's that's how foolishness works, isn't it? I mean, nobody, nobody starts out intending to do the wrong thing. And we, we even think we're being intentional. We think we're being purposeful. We think we're doing the right thing. We, we have a plan in our mind. But then there's at least part of us. I was going to the right place. I was just taking the wrong car to get there. And I wasn't thinking about everything the way I should have been thinking about it, I was just doing what I always did. I was just doing what felt natural. I always get in my car and drive on Monday morning. That's what I do every Monday morning. So it was ingrained in me, and I was doing what felt natural, what seemed common sense. And I never even stopped to think about it. If you had asked me five minutes before that, Wes, what are you doing? I would have said, I'm taking Holly's car to the service station. And you said, but you're not even driving that car. I wasn't thinking. I was just doing what, what felt natural. And there's so many times in our life where we do that, isn't there? Where we think we're, we're, we think we're doing what's right and good. We, we think that we're doing God's will, but, but we're really just doing what feels natural, what feels like common sense. And that's what I hope we're realizing in this study of Proverbs, that sometimes the Proverbs reveal to us, we got to wake up, look around, pay attention to what we're actually doing. Not what we think we're doing, but what we're actually doing. And, and be wise people. Because what we're saying as Christians is we're saying, 
We are so enamored with God. We are so in love with God. We are so, so committed to God because he is committed to us. Because he committed everything to our salvation, we commit ourselves to him. And part of that is to wise living. But here's a question that I think is especially appropriate this morning and a question that this whole series, something that I've been struggling with personally. Do we want to be wise? Or do we merely want to be thought of as wise? Because it it struck me not too long ago That sometimes in my life, I don't really want to be wise. I just want people to think I'm wise. I just want to maintain a self-image of wisdom. I want people to think I'm wise, and I want to be able to think about myself. Wes, you know what you're doing. You, you, You know what needs to be done. You're taking care of business. You've got things figured out. I mean, who doesn't want to think that they've got things figured out, right? And who doesn't want other people to think they've got things figured out? But here's what happens. When we merely want to be thought of as wise, and we, when we merely want to protect our self-image of wisdom, then often we end up defending ourselves from the very thing that can make us wise. When we want to maintain a self-image of wisdom and when we want other people to think we're wise and we want to put on airs of being smart and being intelligent and having things figured out, very often we defend ourselves against the very thing that could make us wise. You see, the wisest people that I know, and chances are this is true for you too, the wisest people I know don't think they're wise. Isn't that true? The wisest people you know, if you went up to them and you said, listen, you are so wise. I'm just blown away by your wisdom. You, you know God's will and you do it and it's amazing and I appreciate it and I look up to you. They'd say, me? Not me. I'm so foolish. I make so, so many bad decisions. Wouldn't they? That humility. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you got your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. It says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Wow, that's, I mean, just stop and think about that for a second. Everybody thinks they're doing what's right, right? If you had stopped me on the way, you'd pull me over in the school zone and said, Wes, what are you doing? You said, I'm doing 20. That's what I'm doing. I didn't go over the speed limit at all. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm taking my wife's car in. I thought, in my own eyes, in my own mind, in my own heart, I was doing right. We all do. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing unless we thought it was right, right? We wouldn't be doing what we thought was wrong. But the proverb writer warns us that that's what fools think too. Fools are confident that the way they're doing things is right. That ought to cause us to pause, slow down and say, wait, just a second. Am I being foolish? Because it says next, but a wise man listens to what, church? Advice. Now, it's hard to accept advice, isn't it? I don't know about you, but that's hard to accept advice. People say, now listen, Wes, 
you really ought to do things this way. Or if you're smart, you'll do things this way. This is the wise way of doing things. Somebody shares a passage of Scripture and says, Wes, you're not really doing what's right and good. You think you are, but you really need to do this. A wise man listens. And in Hebrew, the idea of listen, I've been told, it carries with it and is almost always implied within the word or the idea of listening Obeying. And the same way we are with our kids, right? When they don't clean up their room, when we tell them to, we say, why didn't you listen to me, right? Why didn't you listen to me? Now, why didn't the words fall in your ears? But why didn't you do what I told you to do? A wise man listens to advice. A fool, his ways are right in his own eyes. Don't be so confident that you're doing what's right that you refuse to listen to good advice, right? That's what he's saying. Don't be so confident and so sure, so bold as to think that you're doing the right thing that you refuse to listen to advice. I mean, it's good to be confident and it's good to do what you're convinced is right, but don't be so convinced that that's right that you don't listen to people when they try to steer you in the right direction. And give you good advice. Let's look at another passage. Proverbs 10 and verse 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. I mean, wow. Again, that ought to cause us to stop for just a second and say, the path to life. The path to life. If I'm a person who's on it, then I'm a person who heeds what? Instruction. If I'm a person who's on the path to life, then I'm a person who heeds instruction. So the question is, am I a person who heeds instruction? Am I a person who's willing to say, you know what, that's good advice. That's true. What you're saying to me right now is true. The way I was going, the things I was doing, that wasn't right or good or pure or wise. And I'm going to listen. I'm going to correct my ways. I'm going to make some changes in my life. That's the path to life. And the people who heed instruction and wisdom, advice and reproof, correction, those are the people that are on the path to life. But then it says, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. I like the way this ESV reads here. Because not only if you reject reproof, that's correction, right? Somebody tries to correct you and say, hey, Wes, you're going the wrong way. Come do things this way. And you say, I don't care what you say. I'm not listening to you. I'm going to do whatever I want to. This is what my mom said. This is what my culture says. This is what my whatever says. This is what my heart says. This is what my mind tells me. This is what I believe. This is what I'm confident I ought to do. And I reject your correction. Not only is it implied there that you go astray, because you're already going astray, that's the whole point of the reproof, right? But you lead others astray. I mean, that that's powerful, isn't it? That your wisdom or your foolishness, my wisdom or my foolishness, doesn't just affect me, it affects everybody around me. It affects others. So that when I refuse to listen to reproof, When somebody loves me enough to say, hey, Wes, you're not headed towards life. You're headed towards death. You're not headed towards success. You're headed towards failure. 
What you're doing may seem to jive culturally, but it doesn't, it, it isn't consistent with the teachings of Scripture. It's not consistent with the story of Jesus. You're not walking in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And somebody tries to reprove me like that, I say, what do they know? Who, who do they think they are telling me that? And I reject instruction and reproof and correction. I not only do myself a disservice, I do everybody that I know a disservice. And so do you. He who rejects reproof leads others astray. Look at Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, okay, they're going to put it up on the screen. Okay, you see the last word there, okay, moms and dads. So, I mean, if you got to, you know, cover kids' ears or, you know, whatever. I, I don't let my kids say that, so kids don't, don't say that. But here's what it says. And I even, one time I preached and used this passage, and I, I looked up every other translation. I thought, I can't, I can't say that word from the pulpit. So I, I looked up every other translation, and, uh, and the King James was the only one that didn't say that. And so I thought, okay, well, what is it? It used the word brutish. And I was like, I don't have, I don't have any idea what brutish means. So I looked it up in the dictionary. You know what the dictionary said? Stupid. That's what it said. So I don't know what to tell you, but here's what it says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Again, that's why I ask, do you want to be wise or do you merely want people to think you're wise? Do you want to be wise or do you merely want to have a self-image of wisdom? Because if we really want to be wise, then we will love discipline. We'll love being taught and trained and corrected. I was reading an article this week about a professional football player who's at the top of his game and he said, I love to be coached. I love to be coached. And if I'm doing something wrong, tell me. If I'm doing something that I could do better, then tell me. I want to be the best that I can be, so tell me when I can get better. What if, what if I had that attitude? What if you had that? What if we all had that attitude? I said, I want, I want to be wise and I want to walk in a way that's consistent with the good news of Jesus. And so if I'm not doing that and I'm doing something wrong or if I'm doing something that I could be doing it better, then tell me. We should love discipline. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Reproof implies that it's true. Okay? Right? Doesn't it? When when you're being corrected, it, it implies that the words of correction are true and that your actions are false or wrong, right? Because sometimes people correct us and they're wrong, right? I mean, sometimes people say, you shouldn't do that. Don't say that. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And some people are just critics and they're wrong. And their, their correction is not correction at all. Their reproof is not reproof at all. From their mind it is, in their heart it is, but in reality it's not. But the only way you're going to know that is by examining both their correction and your behavior in light of Scripture. The only way you're going to know I mean, it's really easy to just write them off and say, well, they're just a critic. They're critical of me. Everything I do, they criticize. Well, what if they're right? What if they're right? They might be right. They might be wrong. The only way you'll know is by listening to them and examining it in light of Scripture and say, is their correction really correction? Is it correct? Is their reproof really reproving? Is it rooted in God's word and the wisdom of the spirit of God? Or is it just their own opinion? If it's their opinion, take it or leave it. 
But if it's true, then don't despise it or reject it or hate it. Love it. Because they're trying to help you be a better person. But I don't know about you, but this is hard, isn't it? It's hard. I don't like to be corrected or disciplined or reproved. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. But you can love it even if you don't like it. You can say, you know what? That doesn't feel good. I don't like it when people say things to me that are negative and critical. But if they're right, I love it because I want to be wise. I don't want to walk in step with Jesus. I don't want to do the things that are pleasing to my Lord. Look at Proverbs 15 and verse 31. Proverbs 15, 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Life-giving reproof. Do we realize that? I mean, sometimes, I think sometimes we go from one extreme to the other in Christianity, don't we? Maybe for a while, I think maybe, maybe when some of us were kids, it, it, there was a lot of reproof. There was a lot of correction. There was a lot of hellfire and brimstone. And there was a lot of don't do this and don't do this and don't do that. But sometimes we can swing to the other end of the spectrum where we never tell somebody when they're headed in the wrong direction. We never help them to see that that path is a path to death and not life. Reproof, correction, can be life-giving. Can be life-giving. And if nothing else, when somebody corrects us or reproves us or says, Wes, don't do that. Even if I examine what they're saying and say, you know what, I think they're wrong, I can at least appreciate the fact that they wanted to save my life. Amen? I can appreciate the fact that they, they wanted to help me. And even if they're wrong, and even if I'm not going to take their advice because it doesn't match up with Scripture, I can at least appreciate the fact that they're trying to save me and help me. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Look at verse 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. That's why I said a minute ago that when we merely want to be thought of as wise, when we're proud and we think we're already wise, we end up defending ourselves against the very thing that can save our life. We end up defending ourselves against the very thing that can make us wise. When we say, who do you think you are? You can't say that to me. Who do you think you are judging me or correcting me or reproving me? Keep that to yourself. I don't want to hear your opinion. We end up hurting ourselves. The text says that you despise yourself. You hate yourself if you don't listen to correction. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Because it feels like it feels like when we're being reproved and we're being corrected, it feels like they're hurting us. But the text says, if they're right, and the correction is really correct, the reproof is really reproving, then it's actually helping you. And by defending yourself against it, by your pride being your wall against it, you're actually hating yourself, despising yourself, keeping yourself from growing by refusing to even entertain the possibility that you might be wrong and you might need to change where you are on some things, change what you're doing on some things. Look at verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Humility and teachability are prerequisites to wisdom. 
Humility and teachability are prerequisites to wisdom. You cannot be proud and wise at the same time. You cannot be proud and wise at the same time. If you're wise, you won't think you're wise. If you're wise, you'll always be listening to more wisdom. Saying, if I get out of the line, if I go in a way that's not great, I mean, tell me. Teach me, correct me, reprove me, because I want to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So if I get out of line, then reprove me, correct me, bring me back. Humility and teachability are prerequisites to wisdom. See, this is hard, because it's impossible, it's nearly impossible to teach humility. Because everybody who needs it thinks they already have it. Think about that for a second. It's nearly impossible to teach humility because everybody who needs it thinks they already have it. We could all be a little more humble, couldn't we? And a little more willing to accept correction when somebody's correct. Accept reproof when their words really are reproving. Listen to this word of warning, Proverbs 29 and verse 1. Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. It's a bad habit to get in, to reject all the correction that comes your way. I mean, we say things, I mean, this has become a cliche in our culture. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life, right? And there, there's some truth to that. There is absolutely some truth to that. There are some people that are just critical and rude and judgmental and hurtful and their words are like knives and you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. But if somebody's trying to help you be a better person, if somebody's trying to help you to see where you might be going wrong, you might be driving the wrong car down the road. If somebody's trying to help you see that, don't tell them I don't need that kind of negativity in your life. That's exactly what you need in your life. If we get in the habit of constantly rejecting anybody trying to correct us, we will be broken beyond healing. We cannot be so stiff-necked that we reject all the correction. We've got to be willing to bend when somebody teaches us the truth. We've got to be willing to change our ways when somebody says, hey, Wes, did you see this passage? Did you see this idea? Here's what God says about that. And we say, you know what? You're right. Let me bend to his will. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about neither giving nor taking offense. You remember that? Neither take nor give offense. We talked about offending people. And I think this goes right hand in hand with that idea. See, because when we have to be the corrector, everything we've talked about thus far has been listening to correction. But there's sometimes where you have to give correction. I, I think we ought to accept correction willingly and give correction sparingly, right? Accept correction willingly and give correction sparingly. Sometimes we get those backwards. But here's the thing. When you have to give correction, don't offend people. That doesn't mean they're not going to be offended, but it means your, your goal is not to hurt them. Your goal is to help them. Do you remember the passages that we talked about that talked about being persuasive? That's your goal, isn't it? It's to teach to persuade, not to make them angry, because if you make them angry, chances are you're not going to help correct them. And so we talked about things like use sweet words and gracious words and gentle words. 
When you have to correct, don't offend people. And then when you are corrected, don't be offended. Be willing to listen. Don't get mad and angry and say, I'm not going to listen to that. Who do you think you are? Neither take nor give offense. And here's what I want us to walk away with today is this, is let Christ guard your heart. Because sometimes it's pride that guards our heart, isn't it? And so we, we build up this false bravado to keep ourselves from being injured. And we reject any correction or negativity in our life because we, we're, we're not confident or sure of who we are and how valuable we are and how loved we are. You see, but when the peace of God guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, so Paul says in Philippians, then we can have confidence. We can walk around with our head held high, not because of our goodness, but because of the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is guarding our heart, not our pride. Let Christ guard your heart, not pride. Tear down the walls and the barriers of pride that are defending you against the very thing that can help you so often. See, but when Christ guards your heart, when Christ guards your heart, you can be vulnerable. You can open yourself up to each other in the church and in this community of faith as people that are all trying to walk in wisdom. We can open ourselves up to each other. We can teach each other and correct each other and admonish each other and rebuke each other and reprove each other. And we're like, okay, I want it. Help me to walk in the ways of Jesus. Because my confidence and assurance that I'm loved and valuable doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from my wisdom or my behavior. It comes from the fact that I know that my Redeemer lives. I know who he is and what he's done for me. I know that he loves me and I'm valued by him, even if I make mistakes, even if I get out of line and I need to be corrected. So if somebody has to correct me, it doesn't diminish my value. In fact, it helps me to be more valuable to the kingdom of God by living a wiser life. So again, yes, listen to correction. But in order to listen to correction, you've got to let Christ guard your heart and not pride. It's hard, isn't it, to break down those walls and be vulnerable with each other and confess our sins to each other and confess our struggles to each other and let, let people give us advice and let people give us instruction and let people tell us, I think you were wrong. It's hard, but it's good. Proverbs says it's life-giving. We can't, can't always know what's going on in each other's life unless we have that kind of relationship, unless we share with each other. So after service, let our... Let our elders pray with you. Listen, if you've never become a Christian and you're not letting Christ guard your heart, then let him break down that barrier, be buried with him in baptism, and share with us in this life. If we can help you in any way, come forward now as we stand and sing.